Well, a few days ago, I officiated a wedding in Southern Ohio, and it was an outdoor wedding on a farm. And after the bridal procession, there was then the music for the bride, and they closed these large barn doors. Everybody stood, they opened the barn doors, and the bride then walked out, and everything went flawless. But we've all been to a wedding before, and some of us had the wedding ourselves, and we understand. You know, when the music plays for the bride, everybody stands because we recognize we are part of something special. And scripture, when it talks about this life of a believer, it uses the metaphor of a wedding many, many times. And this day of Pentecost, when the church is born, we're going to look at some things that Paul said in that context of recognizing why that metaphor of a wedding is so relevant to us here today and how that should challenge our own walk and spiritual faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul says this, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I espoused you to one husband to present you a pure virgin to Christ. As we've talked, anytime we're in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, we need to understand that that culture of Corinth was known for sin and compromise. In fact, Corinth was another word used for sinfulness. And when Paul then went and shared the gospel and some people then believed that, some of them still compromised with their old lifestyle, their old beliefs. And so Paul wrote the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians to speak into this place where there was so much compromise of truth. Very similar to what we live in today in our culture. And Paul would write these letters to to encourage the people about the truth and the faith and to stop living in sin. In fact, some were so compromised in their living that they boasted about sin. They said, look, God is forgiving. I should sin more. So God forgives me more. So I make his grace more evident. And Paul would have the most sharp words for those who stated that and say, may that never be something you believe or say. And so Corinth very much compromised a lot of believers even living very sinful lives. Paul writes to them again and says, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Something for us to stop and think about. Do we care that much for other people's lives? When Paul says the jealousy he has is a godly or divine jealousy. A jealousy that they stay in the truth, avoid sin, and live a holy life. Do we care that much for somebody else that we say, I have a godly jealousy over your life, that it glorify Christ, that you live in the truth, and that you then find true fulfillment in Him? Do we stop and think, you know what, I have that same zeal for the the body of Christ that Paul has. I'm jealous that the body of Christ be living the truth and not living in that compromise. Several years ago, and I've spoken in different places around the country as well as different denominations, so this was not any place around Akron, but I was speaking at a particular church. They wanted somebody to talk to them, and they were having problems, and so I shared a sermon during the worship time, and somebody came up afterwards, said one of the oddest 
things. They stopped me and said, it's so good to hear somebody talk about Jesus in this church. I met with the leadership right after that, asked why somebody would make such an absurd statement in a church. And about half of them shared that they did not believe in Jesus. Several others believed you can have any religion you want and they all lead to truth. Such is the state of so many lives today. We need to say, I have a godly jealousy, a divine jealousy to protect the integrity of the truth and to see other people living in that truth and not in that place of compromise. To say, you know what, I care that much for somebody else's spiritual life that I want to be that example to them and also that wisdom to speak truth into their life so they don't live in that compromised place so many people live in today. Paul, Galatians 1.8, said this, Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, let him be accursed. The gospel is Christ that is the way, the truth, the life, and that nobody comes to the Father but through him. Paul says if we, the apostles, or even an angel appears and tells you another gospel, let that one be accursed. That's why he was so jealous. He knew there are false teachings He knew there was the temptation to sin. He knew that people would compromise the truth. Again, Corinth is very much like where we live today. This is Barb Fry. She wrote a book, Stop Wishing, Start Living. At 18, she had been drinking. Her friend had been drinking. They got in a car. The friend drove. Terrible accident left Barb paralyzed from the neck down. She would share within weeks of that accident. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. Again, where do people turn when life turns upside down? We need to be there to say, you know what? He is the truth. And in those moments, whether you're in the mountaintop or you're in the valley, he is the way, the truth, the life. I'll share some more from Barb, but she would state herself, you know, very difficult road over a year in the hospital. She eventually was able to move again from the waist up. She's still paralyzed in her legs, but she was able to eventually go to college, get married, have a child and live this life now, counseling other people, encouraging their faith, speaking and writing. It was not an easy time though. She said herself took seven years, seven years to find forgiveness for the other person involved in this accident. But again, when things turned upside down, where did she give her life? To Christ. That's why we need to be jealous about the truth, to guard it from error, speaking what is the gospel and not compromising that. Paul says the next verse here in 2 Corinthians, I espoused you to one husband that I might present you as a pure virgin to Christ. When he says that term, I espoused you to one husband, it's the image of the father giving away the bride at the wedding. And Paul says, just like that moment, just like that special moment of the wedding, when we all say we are participating in a beautiful moment, he says, that's what your life in Christ is to be, that you are committed to one 
husband to Christ. Not Christ and other things you bring in to compromise your belief systems. Not Christ in your own selfishness or self-effort. It's Christ alone. And so we walk in that place to say, you know what? It is he, the audience of one, for whom I live my life. And then Paul says, I want to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That just simply means that our life be one of purity, holiness. We all have sin, but we bring it to the cross where it's nailed. We bear it no more, but we live our life to follow him in obedience, to live in that purity. Let me share something here from Magala Patia about a powerful thing you can use in your relationship to help live healthier relationships, which is a part of this idea of being in Christ in one commitment to him living in that purity. Magali Pacius said that a man came for counseling. He said he and his wife were fighting every day. She said, what do you fight about? He said, well, my wife started a business and I've run businesses before. And when she talks about her company, I want to give her advice how she could improve it, improve it. And we always have this discussion at dinner. And she says, you know, I didn't ask for your advice. It becomes an argument and we often yell. Magala said, you know what? If I give you three words to change your relationship, would you use those three words? He said, absolutely. Words, as we've said many, many times, are very powerful. One word can change an entire story. One word can change your entire life. This is a study that's been done many times. It's often in relationship to insurance, and it's a psychological study to understand you know, how people think and report accidents. And what they'll do is they will have a group of people watch a video of an accident. And half the group, they will say, how fast was the car going when it hit the other car? And people give an accurate answer. The other half, though, they say to them, how fast was that car going when it smashed into that other car? Changing that word from hit to smashed, people change their estimates by 15 to 20 miles per hour overestimating. One word changes the entire story. One word can change your entire story that you tell about your own life. Words matter. Paul made it clear there's no compromise in the truth. Words matter. Beliefs matter. They all have consequences. May we stay connected to the one living in purity. So back to the wedding metaphor that Paul shares here. In our country, $51 billion industry annually for weddings. Three million people getting married a year. We understand it's a special picture. We understand why scripture then says your relationship with Christ should have that closeness of a marriage. That you're committed to Him, not to many others. And that you walk in Him and live in purity, integrity to that relationship to Him. So think about this, what Magali Patius, she said, you know what, you can change your relationship with three words. 
when that husband asked what he could say to his wife, she says, next time she starts to share her experience, say these three words. Simply say, tell me more. Tell me more. And from a heartfelt place, mean it and just listen. Three weeks went by. He came back. She asked how things were better than ever. Words, a simple word, can change your life, change my life. And Paul says, make sure you live in integrity, not to two husbands, three husbands, to one husband who is Christ on Pentecost. Spirit poured out on all flesh, the birth of the church, that we might say, you know what? I'm a part of that royal wedding in Christ, and my job is to be jealous over that truth, over other people's lives, to be living in that truth, committed to one husband, Christ, and then living in purity. Here's something Jesus said shortly before he went to the cross. Notice what he says, John 17, 19. He says, for them... For them, this is his prayer, for them, believers, for you, for me. He says, for them, I sanctify myself. Sanctify means to set apart for a holy purpose. How was Christ sanctified, set apart for a holy purpose? He went to Calvary. And then he says, why? so that they too may be sanctified. Incredible. Many, many things took place at the death, resurrection of Christ. And he says one of those is he set himself apart so you and I would live our lives set apart for a holy purpose. Not just doing what everybody else does, not just doing the easy or convenient thing, but set apart. That's what he died for. See why Paul says, I am jealous that you remain pure and that you remain devoted to Christ and the truth. He set himself apart so we could be set apart. Back to Barb Fry. She talks about this set-apart life. Let me read a few statements she said she learned through this process, going through being paralyzed and finding her faith again. Set-apart life. Number one, she says, live your life not wishing for someone else's. Live your life. She says, if I had a different life, I wouldn't have had my husband or my son I wouldn't have seen what I've seen, learned what I've learned, or become who I am. Second thing she says, control what you can and react well to what you can't. She says, there are no guarantees for how life will turn out, but we can control our character. Control what you can, react well to what you can't. You and I have control of our character. Third, she says this, it doesn't take long for life to change, but it doesn't have to change. She states, before the accident, I was an outgoing, busy, largely happy person. Then in the blink of an eye, I lost the ability to walk ever again, but I didn't stop being me. I'm still the same person. I just look at the world from a foot lower than I used to. 
speaking of her life in a wheelchair. Number four, last one. There are no excuses for not giving love to someone. She asked, why would we want to go through life without love? Love your neighbor, your caregiver, a family member, the kid you tutor, the bus driver, whoever. Love is worth it for its own sake, even if it never gets returned. Some things to think about in this sanctified or set-apart life. You know, on this day of Pentecost, we're going to close with one verse here, a beautiful statement. And this is something shared here by the psalmist, or Isaiah, I mean, in 66.13. Isaiah writes this, and he says, As a mother comforts her child, so God will comfort you. Just as we can all relate to a wedding, it's something special. It's about a singular devotion. So it should be our walk in Christ. And Isaiah compares this life, this life of faith. He says, God comforts us like a mother comforts their child. So sometimes things don't go the way we plan. Sometimes things don't go the way we might think they should. Or sometimes things are completely upside down. In those moments, know that God is there to comfort like a mother comforts her child. Colonel Bruce Holiday wrote an article about the power of the love of a parent talking about his mom. He was born in Japan, adopted when he was just an infant, a military couple who then moved to the United States. He himself joined the Air Force. His adoptive parents encouraged him to find his birth mother in Japan. But he always said, you know, I don't feel I need to do that. I don't feel anything missing in my life. Then one day he said he found himself lying on the ground having a heart attack. He was 45. He was taken to the hospital and while there thought about life and faith. When he was able to recover, he said, I should write a letter to my birth mom to say thank you for adopting me out. What a great sacrifice that was. And I've lived a great life. He then tried to find his mom in Japan, find out who she was. He used a private investigator. He contacted the embassies, all to no avail. So he gave up. Then he was in training in Germany. He was talking about trying to find his birth mom. An admiral said, I'll help you. He said, no offense, but the embassy couldn't help. There's not much that can be done. He went back to the Pentagon. Ten days had passed. The phone rang. The admiral said, I found your birth mother. And Colonel Bruce Holliday said, great, give me the address. I'll write a letter. The admiral said, there's no letter you have five minutes to find an interpreter. Your mother's on the phone. Colonel Bruce ran down the hallway, found somebody to help. They were on the phone with his birth mom. She cried. She laughed. He finally said, you know, what is my mom saying? And the interpreter said, tomorrow is your mom's 65th birthday. She said she's been waiting her entire life for you to come home. Colonel Bruce got on a plane, went to see his birth mom, found out she had started a restaurant. And when she took him to the restaurant and showed it to him, he would write, if I did not live it, I would not have believed it. 
what happened next shows the power of love and why Isaiah would say, as a mother comforts her child, so I comfort you. He called his adoptive mom back in the United States, standing there at this restaurant, asked her how this is possible. His mom in the U.S. said, you know, when you were an infant before we left Japan, I took a photograph of you. I wrote a note to your birth mom and said, thank you. We will take great care of him. We have named him Bruce. All these decades later, Bruce, just meeting his birth mom, stood in front of a restaurant that she had owned and ran for years. And there above the door was the name Bruce's Restaurant. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. May we be jealous for that truth. Living our lives committed to one. Living in purity. Set apart lives. For that is why he lived and died and rose again.